So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is good, God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced round the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be wakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. 
So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The second reading can be found in Matthew's Gospel on page 996. Matthew 26, beginning to read at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Our third reading is from Romans chapter 8. That can be found on page 1134. Romans 8, beginning at verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. 
And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you, Chris, for that. It was a long one. I do apologise. Just a caveat before I start. I've had a very bad voice all week, and if it breaks down, I'm afraid that's what it'll have to be. Just pray. This is the title of the, of the sermon tonight. And I want to start by telling the story of a people called Caring for Life. They have a place in Leeds which does just what it says on the tin. They care for the lives of those who are less fortunate than themselves, those who are, have been mistreated in their adult life and in their, in their youth. And they look after them on a farm and also in the community. And it is Caring for Life. And they're a lovely organisation. They've been going for 30 years. And Peter Parkinson is head of that organisation. And I tell this story because one day, as they live on the farm, there's uh, two houses, one for the women and one for the men, and they come and they meet on the farm for praise and worship. And they're on the farm one day, and they were meeting in a barn with a corrugated roof. And that day there was a huge storm overhead. And the rain came down, and the rain was so loud that it drowned out Peter Parkinson. Now, he's not a quiet man, I can tell you that. It drowned him out. So he said, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we'll have, to, we'll have to really curtail this until the storm has gone by. And there was a young man who had been helped by the Lord and become a Christian very recently. He said, no, Peter, we just need to pray. So Peter thought, okay, I'll humour him. So he said, Lord, may the rain stop. Immediately it stopped. And he said, that's amazing. Thank you, Lord. And the man stood up and said, Peter, why is it amazing? You asked for it to stop and it stopped. Just pray. So this man had a lot of faith. This young man had a lot more faith than that minister. So tonight we're going to look at why we should just pray. Why it should be just a natural thing for us to do. Before that, let us commit this to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Take these words and with the help of the Holy Spirit enrich enrich all of our lives tonight. Amen. 
The first thing is, because it is powerful. Let's look at the first reading. And we we went to, it was a long reading, I know, we're not going to go right through it, but we're going to summarise what happened here. It is powerful. I'm going to show from the Bible and from illustrations in life, generally, how powerful prayer is. And this is a very powerful example of how powerful prayer is, isn't it? Here was Elijah coming from those, those years of famine and he'd met up with Obadiah, a very good man, who had went into his enemy Ahab and then he had set up this contest with the 450 prophets of Baal. I guess the 400 prophets of Azra didn't turn up. That was good for them in the end. So... Ahab said we're going to have a contest to show who the real God is. So he went and had them all appear at Mount Carmel. And he said, bring all the prophets with you. We're going to have a contest and we'll sort out forever who the real God is. So the word went out in verse 20, Israel assembled and the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord God, if, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal is God, follow him. And sadly, the people said nothing. And then, sadly, Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. And then the fun began for Elijah. And he had a lot of fun at their, at, their, at, their, um, at their expense. He said, get two bulls for us and let Baal's prophets choose one of them, cut them into pieces, put them on the wood, but do not set fire. And then call on your God to send fire down. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Then he really does begin to have fun with them. So they start and they choose their bull, they put it on there and they call on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Baal, answer us, they shout. But of course there was no response. No one answered. They danced round the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping or maybe he's awakened. So they shout louder and louder. In the end, Elijah had enough of this. He said, enough, it's my turn. So he gets them to slaughter the, the bull and he puts it on the, wall, on the altar, but that wasn't enough. He fills the altar so it's overflowing. Then he calls on God, show your power. And fire comes down from heaven and the whole sacrifice is taken and the whole altar is destroyed. God that answers with fire is the true God. There's the power of prayer. One man who's trusting in God against the whole of this nation, against the 450 prophets of Baal. Isn't that powerful? And that's the same God we serve. That's the same God we serve now. But just another thing, and I didn't read this, in Acts chapter 12, it shows the power of prayer but it shows us something else. In chapter 12, do you remember that um, Peter was put into prison and the people prayed for his release. 
and they were having a prayer meeting for his release and God released him. And miraculously, the day before he was to be beheaded or killed or whatever he was going to be, God took him out of the prison and he went to the place where he knew they would be praying and he knocked on the door. But the amazing thing is, although they were praying and although they were apostles, they didn't really believe God was going to answer their prayer. So when they heard someone knocking on the door, they sent Rhoda the servant to go and answer that. And she said, it's Peter. And they said, don't be ridiculous. You're, you're, being, you're being all emotional. It's not Peter. It can't be. He's in prison. Oh, Lord, release him. See how ridiculous this prayer is. But what it shows us in this instant is God answers prayer even or despite our lack of faith. Isn't that amazing? We should pray because he he is powerful. Doesn't always depend on our faith. Now here's someone that maybe you haven't heard of before. His name is George Muller. Now this man knew all about the power of prayer. And I just want to read, Wikipedia's good sometimes, just want to read Wikipedia's summary of his life. And we can be amazed at the power of prayer. It says that um, he was born in 1805 and died in 1898, aged 92. In his lifetime, having refused any collection at meetings, including as pastor of Timmouth Baptist Church, but relying only on prayer and money received by donations by unsolicited gifts, he and his staff would pray in the morning and much more would come in. Money and much more would come in. And now listen to all that he did by just praying for it, praying for it. He supported day schools, Sunday schools. He distributed 285,407 Bibles. He had distributed 456,506 New Testaments and 244,351 other religious tracts which were translated into 20 other languages but he also included supporting missionaries around the world, such as Hudson Taylor in China. Also, the work that he was most known for was, of course, his orphanages, which by May 1870 had accommodated 1,722 children in five homes. And it's been estimated by the time of Muller's death, this organisation received and distributed one million 381,171 pounds. That's around 90 million in today's terms. That's not including, in later life, at 70 plus, what an incredible man he was, he travelled 200,000 miles around the world, preaching in more than 70 countries, from Australia to South America, telling people about how great Jesus was, all paid for by prayer. Wow. There's a man that relied on the power of prayer. There's a man who just took God at his word. Now I want to tell you a more up-to-date story. We come forward to 1987. And in the Cottingham household, that was a very difficult year. Our son, Andrew, had very severe epilepsy, has very severe epilepsy. And he spent about nine months in in hospital 
We couldn't afford to go on holiday, but we decided to splash out and go to the Isle of Wight in October 1987. You can see where it's coming from. We were on the island of, of Isle of Wight when the big storm came. Before we even got there, Andrew put his finger in the train door and it shut on him and he had to have seven stitches at St. Richard's Hospital because we couldn't afford a car to go down there. We got there. We had the most awful holiday I've ever had. The weather was atrocious. Andrew was crying most of the time. It was dreadful. And we had a job getting back. But on the way back, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. We have a house. We have a family to look after. And I just said, Lord, I don't know. I do not know how I'm going to pay the bills. There's no money in the account. We have bills to pay. It's down to you because I can't do anything. I was also worried about a house on the top of the hill. I thought the roof would have gone, the fence would have gone. Well, I tell you, that's the first miracle. There was one tile off and one fence panel down. That was something I love to praise God for. But when we opened the door on the mat, and I don't know to this day, we do not know to this day, who sent it. But there was an envelope like that, stuffed with notes from someone who out of the kindness of their heart had given to us. That's the power of prayer. And really I didn't believe God was going to do it, you know. I didn't have much faith, but that's the power of prayer. And also to the side there was another envelope. I thought, oh, not another bill. Actually it was a backdate, that backdated check for Jan not being able to work with allowances. And that sourced through a whole year. Praise be to God. That's the power of prayer. What I will say at this time, the power of prayer is amazing. But God does not answer every time how we wish him to answer. We prayed long and hard for Andrew to be healed and it didn't happen. And I know there's many here that has happened too. But you know, God, in his grace, came to us and said, my grace is sufficient for you, Jan and Pete. And he has been ever since. So it doesn't always answer the way you want him to, but it always gives you what you need. That's the power of prayer. There's one more other thing. There's a young man, well, young man, he's younger than me anyway, so he's young. Charlie from Chaley, I call him. He's from the Chaley Church. Two months ago, he went to the dentist with what he thought was a toothache. The dentist took one look and said, you've got to go to the hospital. You've got to go to the doctor. And the doctor said, you've got to go to the hospital. And the hospital said, I'm afraid it's bad news. You have cancer of the mouth and unless you do something, you are going to be dead in two months. At which point he fainted, which I'm not surprised. He said, there is another alternative and that is reconstructive surgery. So about four weeks ago, he went into hospital and had all the side of his face removed and reconstructed. And they said to him in hospital, and everyone was praying for him in the church, and lots of other people were praying for him, some in this church as well. And they said to him, after the operation, which lasted 20 hours, you will not be even able to sit up for two weeks. And he said, I will, you know. He was sitting up in his chair in two days and within two weeks he was up 
and at church. He only missed two services. That's the power of prayer. Charlie's still an ill man and they found another growth the other side and he's got to have more surgery. But he's a living proof. I was there this morning and he's a living proof of someone who through the power of prayer is walking and living this two months later. Do pray for Charlie and for the church at Cheney. But he's a living proof of the power of prayer. So that's the first thing. Just pray because it is powerful. But secondly, because it is a privilege. I believe that's Patrick Stewart being knighted. And being knighted is not, is it not a privilege, it's not a chore. And as we go to our second reading, we find that prayer is a great privilege. And Jesus knew it was a great privilege. And we want to go to Matthew 26 now and look at that passage we just read. Had read for us wonderfully by Chris. So here's Jesus. And he knew about the privilege of prayer. Jesus spent many a night in conversation with his father. He knew the privilege of prayer. It was unlimited. It was unbound. He was always in communion with his father. But then you come to this Gethsemane. And verse 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Three times he prayed that prayer. Three times he prayed that prayer. He understood the privilege of prayer. But that prayer that he had had nothing to do with his humanity and everything to do with his divinity. Let me explain that. As God, he knew what was going to happen on the cross. I'm going to explain that a bit more later. I love the hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. But I feel the hymn has got it wrong. In verse 2, where it says, He had no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Was it not because he knew that the very next day he'll be alone, that he sweat drops of blood? You see, at the next day, he was at the cross, And you see the effects as God was stripped naked at the cross. Think about that. God stripped naked at the cross. Completely naked for all to see. Physically, mentally and spiritually. As he went to the cross, firstly, he was lifted high and nailed and bleeding. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's still praying. He's still praying to his Father. But then, when the whole sins of the worlds were laying on him, this privilege of prayer, this communication with the Father and the Holy Spirit, was stripped, was torn from him. So in dereliction, he shouts in a very loud voice, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Silence. Silence from heaven. Because at that moment, God had taken that privilege of prayer, that privilege of of having communion with the Father and the Spirit away. 
Oh, when you hear those words, doesn't make you weep. You see, the God-man suffered so much for us so that he never had to go through that. You see that no one can take this privilege away from us. Even if we had our tongues cut out, and some Christians have their tongues cut out, we can still pray. Even if we're on our bed bound, bed bound, we can still pray. Even when we're ill, we can still pray. So let us pray. It's a privilege to pray. So why do we find it so hard to pray? May I suggest that we don't start the right way or maybe that we have a little, un- we're a little unbalanced in our prayers. I agree with Peter Scott in his sermon the other day in, in saying that the parts of the prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication, we neglect adoration in our corporate and private prayers. I have a little suggestion here maybe that we could do just for one day that we don't ask God for anything but we just adore him, we just praise his name. And maybe a good day for doing that is Good Friday, a day of not asking but praising that brings us to our final P because it's personal because it's personal oops sorry it should have gone on there because it's personal can anyone tell me what that is it's Hebrew I'm sure Ian could but it, it's saying Yahweh, and it's the Hebrew for, for it's Hebrew name for God, His personal name. It's, it should be interpreted Jehovah, so holy that they could not bring themselves to utter it, and instead replaced it with the word Lord. In our Bibles, ninety percent of all the words what we read as Lord are the word Jehovah. It's a personal name of God, but because the people of Israel so loved and adored God and saw him as so holy, they could not pronounce it. Yet, through the blood of Christ, we can have this personal relationship with God. Which brings us to our final reading, which is Romans 8, verses 1 to 17. A personal relationship between you and God. And you see that in that, in that chapter, in Romans 8. It's saying, therefore we have no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's telling us about a new covenant. The old covenant was one of sacrifice, of continually sacrificing blood and balls on the altar. There was so much blood, there was so much killing, just to pacify God. But now we can come boldly to the throne of God, God, as it says in Hebrews. And we can come and have that personal relationship between us and God. Listen to these last few verses of that chapter that we read. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, we have this personal relationship with God. Right at the back, the beginning of that personal relationship with God, I showed Jeremiah 3, verse 33, Call on me and I will answer you. And there's the promise. There's that promise of that personal relationship with God. But also, if you have this relationship, it, it has to be a true conversation. It has to be two people. It has to be two ways. So are we waiting and listening for what God has to say for us? We ask him something. Are we just going ahead and doing it? Or are we waiting? Now, when I had an idea of putting these, um, you should have all, all have one of these bookmarks here. It's just a few verses about what we need to do if we have, like, for example, if we are depressed. Now, that's a good one. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The heavenly psychiatrist, they call it. It's something that we can do to God. And I think actually there's a, a, a space at the back you can put your own verses there. I think it's quite useful to have in your Bible, in a book that you're reading. So if you're in doubt of what to do about prayer, where to look, you can look at that. And to say, I have this conversation with God. What's amazing is, it's like going back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. I know it's not perfect, but it's like going back to the Garden of Eden. You remember that Adam and Eve, at the, at the cool of the day, walked with Jesus and talked with him. And we can do that through prayer. We can have that relationship. Any time, night or day, you have a personal line to God. I want to tell you one more story about George Muller to show about the personal God that he believed in. George Muller was a lying, cheating fraud, and that's his own words. He was an awful person that cheated, lied, and stole from people. Even though he was a divinity student, he was not at all divine. One day, his friend, Better, said he wasn't going to go with the pub with him, but he was going to a meeting. And George Muller thought, I'll go to this meeting, and it's a prayer meeting. He thought, I'll go and I'll mock him. And he went to the prayer meeting and there was a Bible study before. The Bible study didn't touch him. I thought it was a bit drab. But then someone came out, one of the hosts, and he said, Brother, I want you to pray. And he started praying. And George Muller looked up because it wasn't like the prayers he'd heard. He was talking to someone that he respected, yes, but as a friend. George Muller, Muller, George Muller was changed forever by the Spirit of God coming into him through that man praying, that simple man who prayed to God as a friend. 
And that was a man of faith that went on to do all those things that I said about. He was stopped in his tracks and became the praying giant he, he was because he trusted in the God that that man trusted in and he wanted that personal relationship with God. Do you not want that, brothers and sisters? Isn't that wonderful? You have a friend so wonderful that you can talk to him. So, just in summing up, we need to pray because it's powerful. It's wonderful. It's a privilege and it's personal. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, I thank you that prayer is so powerful. We thank you that it is an incredible privilege that we need to take more often. We thank you, Lord, as we have heard tonight, that you are willing to do away with that privilege to save us, that for three hours on the cross you were totally alone, that we never need to be alone ever, ever again. And Lord, we thank you that we have a personal God and that we can talk to you personally and that it can be a two-way conversation. So Lord, help us to just pray so that it may be a natural thing to do. In Jesus' name, Amen.